It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the new and pre-owned Renault, Dacia and Opel range. And a car finance specialist on site to arrange a finance package that suits your budget. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to Late Lunch this first day of June. Another beautiful day, thank God. Have a listen to this. It is the first day of the month. I read my little piece from the calendar and it says today, at the beginning of June, your life becomes a masterpiece when you learn to master the piece. I love it. It is. There's nothing in life more important than peace of mind and feeling content in yourself there certainly is and that's our little saying for the month ahead bear it in mind take it with you welcome to late lunch this afternoon we have a full agenda between now and half past three let's say hello to one of our regulars professor paul Moyne is back with us hello paul afternoon jerry thanks for joining me i was just saying paul to be upbeat about this isn't it great news that the uptake of the vaccine here is so high Ah, it's really good. It's really, really encouraging. And I know other countries have indicated that sort of envious in terms of the rate of uptake. So, so far, it's been really, really good. And that's really what we uh, need. I think, you know, we've over 50% of the adult population vaccinated now. We're hoping to get over 80 in the coming probably four to six weeks. Um, and then we will want to go even further and possibly begin to vaccinate uh, children, you know, and from the age groups of 12 to 15. That, that was approved last week by the EMA. So, uh, yeah, so it's certainly really, really encouraging. And I think the more people that we can get vaccinated, the more protection obviously we have as, as, as a country as a whole. 2.7 million in total, a million in May, which means we're really stepping up to the mark. And I know people have been vaccinated left, right and centre. And other good news, more good news, should I say, today, with pharmacies now being sanctioned to aid with the rollout, Paul. So that's really community-based then. Ah, that's really good and really convenient for, for, for people, as you say, like in May, I think it's around 250,000. I think the aim is to get up to about 400,000 per week. So to do that, as well as the mass vaccination centres and GPs, I think, you know, the pharmacies and pharmacies are really well established, you know, for vaccinations. And, um, you know, it will be more convenient local and you'll be able to get, you know, the vaccine vaccinations done locally. So I think that's a really good thing and, and a really another measure that will allow us to get to that 400,000 per week, which we need to get to in order to get that the vaccination, first of all, in terms of first vaccinations, but importantly, 
sort of our focus now shifts maybe towards the winter months to make sure that everybody is vaccinated before the winter months. So mm. that's sort of our next goal. 83 in hospital today, of which 35 are in ICU. By God, they're the lowest numbers I remember in a long time. It, it does prove to the naysayers that vaccinations are working. Ah, they're working without doubt. And especially if you look at the age cohorts, if you, if you cast your mind back, Jerry, to situations where we have maybe three, four, five, six hundred cases per day and the effect that had in terms of the health system, the number of hospitalizations, number of ICUs, number of deaths, those numbers have just sort of come down dramatically. And the reason being that the vulnerable people and those that would have been susceptible to severe uh, illness from COVID, that they are now protected and they're protected because of the vaccine. So these vaccines work. They work incredibly well. Um, you know, there is commentary in terms of maybe some of these variants can escape. If the variants can escape in terms of maybe potentially being able to reinfect somebody or infect somebody post-vaccination, the really good news is that the vaccines still protect you very, very effectively in terms of preventing you from getting seriously ill with the virus. And that's a really, really good thing. And so far, all of these uh, vaccines protect really well against all the variants. So that's really, really positive as well. Now, we saw the street scenes. You've seen them yourself in Dublin, uh, the main cities at the weekend and our beaches here in the northeast as well. And we're aware of what's happening in the UK where they think there may be another wave underway driven by the Indian variant with numbers going up. And now they're wondering, can they fully reopen? Can you understand, Paul, people, the way they feel and they want to be released from this 12, 14, 15 months of lockdown, the exuberance? Yeah, I can I can understand. And uh, certainly, if you look at, you know, situations outdoors, the thing to remember is that the risk of outdoor transmission is much, much lower than the risk of indoor transmission. And I think sometimes if we strongly condemn and criticise, and especially those sort of younger age groups who have sort of, you know, they've put up, to, you know, given great commitment in terms of, you know, sticking to the restrictions for a long time and protecting sort of older age groups. I can uh, appreciate that. I think we need to be careful not to overly sort of criticise because the risk is low. Like some, some studies suggest 20 times less likely for viral transmission to take place outdoors relative to indoors. We're a year and a half into this pandemic to my knowledge, and we've had over 100,000 different publications and reports, I don't think there is one documented or published study showing, you know, a super spreading event that's solely attributed to outdoor activities. There have been some attributed to rallies, but some of that activity was based indoors as well. So the risk is, and I think the message needs to continue to be, you know, outdoors is a good thing. Outdoors is safe. And put in place those services and infrastructure that is required to allow people and to encourage people sort of to enjoy that outdoor experience. So rather than being overly critical, you know, realise that, yeah, we're going to encourage people to go outside and we want to make that as an enjoyable and facilitate that experience as much uh, as possible. I think as well, Paul, just a, a personal comment, with the uh, outdoor hospitality only opening up uh, from next week on, uh, the uh, Tuesday after the bank holiday, that will probably take away uh, quite an element of that. Like, people have nowhere to go, Paul. Yeah, well, well and when that, when that opens up, there will be, there'll be a degree of structure uh, around it. And then, you know, we get into July and then probably more indoor activity. So that will allow it, you know, and again, it'll allow it to be, I think, more controlled, more structure around it. 
Uh, and I think that's probably what we need. Whereas at the moment, people are just anxiously waiting mm. to be able to go out and they're starting to drink and bringing their own alcohol along and things like that and drinking on the streets, which sort of legally isn't isn't permitted. But as you say, said earlier on, there's sort of this, I think there's this pent up sort of frustration and stress and people are just desperately looking forward to going back and trying to move towards some degree of normality. And, you know, as you see the sun coming out and the weather's improving, it's to be expected that this is what people are going to do. Mm. And the good thing is that the risk is quite low outside. Certainly, some of those things are happening indoors. You'd be much, much more concerned about it. And that's why I always think it's always good to differentiate between the levels of risk. And if we go and we we criticise, you know, outdoor activity to the same extent as we would criticise indoor activity, you lose sort of credibility and objectivity then. So I think, you know, the risk outdoors is very, very low. Encourage people to go outdoors. Yes, interact in a safe manner, but also provide the services and infrastructures allow people to do that and, and enjoy that experience. Now, we have a summer to enjoy and let's not get ahead of ourselves and hopefully we'll have lots of good weather that people can get out and about and into the uh, autumn as well. You did mention looking ahead and of course you must be planning ahead because the year will roll round fast as we know and we will be back into colder conditions and climate weather being indoors. Have you heard anything about, you know, the length of protection when you do take the vax that people have? Is there any talk about that needing another one or a booster? So first of all, Judge, it was very good news last week in terms of people who have been previously infected. When they look at the duration of immunity from the the duration of immunity is at least a year and probably much, much longer. So that's a really good news story that for people who have been infected, the immune system has been triggered and you get this protective immunity for significant lengths of time. Probably we will get at least, we will probably get the same length of uh, protective immunity from the vaccine. It's difficult to say because the vaccines haven't been used for that length of period as of yet. Mm. And there's no guarantee you'll get it to the same extent as what you get from a natural infection. But I'd be surprised if you don't get, you know, protective immunity for significant lengths of time, months, maybe progressing into years. That doesn't exclude the possibility that if you've been vaccinated, there are possibilities, and we know that this can take place, that you can get infected by the virus, albeit at low levels. But the important thing is if you're vaccinated, even if you're infected with a virus, it's very unlikely you're going to get very ill. With these new variants, so it's not so much in terms of immunity waning, it could be a possibility that some of these variants may be able to evade some of the immune system, and especially the antibodies that we produce as part of the immune system. So in those cases, you already see some of the companies beginning to redesign and re-engineer their vaccines so that the vaccines will be more effective against specific variants. And that's what you'll probably see, I would say, as the year progresses, you get into the autumn, winter time, you may be looking at a booster which may be more tailored to act specifically against possibly the Indian variant or whatever. So you may see something like that. But generally, I think if you've been vaccinated, you will have some level of protection and I think give you really good protection from getting very, very sick. So that's sort of a reassuring thing. But to maximise the effectiveness of the vaccine, vaccines, there may be boosters and there may be vaccines that are more tailored against the specific variants. 
Just before you go today, uh, you know, it's a triumph for science. It really is. And the speed, you've spoken about this many times to us. Uh, the vaccines have been developed. Where would we be, I think, today? I shudder to think today uh, without them. But news today of a human infection with bird flu in China. And, you know, the talk with a lot of people is, well, this is one uh, knock the world has received. There will be a worse one to come. I take it there'll be huge learnings from this and, uh, you know, leave us better prepared prepared, please, God, for uh, the future? Yeah, I think there will. We're more conscious of uh, the risks and the dangers, you know, associated with the possibility of new pandemics. I think in this part of the world, especially in Europe, the last one, for example, if you look specifically relating to SARS back in the early 2000s, because we weren't really affected by that, I don't think it had the same sort of impact in terms of our consciousness, in terms of the possibility of pandemics. You mentioned that case this morning, sort of a bird flu. Again, that's quite a rare one um, in terms of strains and variants. I think there's only maybe over 100 of them in the last 20 years. So it's quite a rare one and quite uh, localised. But again, it does raise the general point in terms of will there be another pandemic? Is it possible for other viruses to evolve, to mutate, to put us at this uh, same risk? And that certainly is a possibility. And we need to learn lots of things from what we've just experienced over the last 18 months. And one of the things is in terms, especially around surveillance, so that if something does appear, does appear, for example, whether it be one of these zoonotic viruses that pass from animals to humans, that the surveillance system is sufficiently good to pick that up really, really early. I think that would make a big difference. And I think if you look at the countries who manage this really well, one of the characteristics they had was they moved very, very fast. And I think that that is the most countries probably we didn't do and maybe it's just that we didn't have enough knowledge or enough awareness in terms of the virus but I think surveillance systems and really good surveillance systems will help us in that regard. And one final one quickly, is it important to find out where this virus came from initially? We're hearing lots of talk about the lab in Wuhan did it escape from there in China, did it happen naturally? Is that important to know? I think it is important, Jerry. yeah. Uh, some people would say, well, it doesn't really matter. We just have to deal with the consequences of it. But I think it's really good in terms of if, if it occurred uh, naturally to understand that process. Like we have predecessor or related viruses to this, maybe 97% similar to this to SARS coronavirus 2. But that 3% difference is still a big difference. So how do we get from that to the SARS-CoV-2? Is there an intermediate uh, virus out there that sort of spanned that? We, we don't know. Still a possibility, maybe it was generated in the lab, maybe it was engineered in the lab, and then sort of it escaped from the lab. That hasn't been totally excluded. I know WHO sent a group to Wuhan to look into this and to look into the lab and to look at all the reports. And when we do research in the lab, Jerry, it's really important that you capture everything that you do and every bit of research activity. And we've got laboratory notebooks, some of them physical books, some of them electronic books. But all detail is captured in terms of any research, any experiments that you do. So that lab in China should have everything documented and all of that should be made known. I think there was some concern when the WHO visited the lab. Maybe there was a delay in terms of releasing some of that information. I think there's still a sense in terms of has all the information being released. And it's really, really important to get access to that information because it is important to figure out how this evolved, how this arose. Because the more we know about this and the early origins of the virus, and potentially in terms of if this were to reoccur, picking them up much earlier, 
that would help us in terms of a response yes. that we just chatted about a couple of mo- moments ago. So it is, an imp- it is important to understand and the more detail, the more information we have, the better. Paul, as usual, thank you so much for joining me on the show. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Jerry. Take care. Head of the Department of Biology, Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University, Professor Paul Moyna. Now, uh, I got a lovely card and letter in from Patricia in Blanchardstown yesterday. Thank you, Patricia, for sending it to me. And she said... Uh, She enjoyed our whole uh, feature on superstitions. Uh, She's uh, certainly uh, superstitious of the magpies. Uh, They don't bother her, though, she says, and she salutes them. She loves seeing the spiders. We were talking about those and little robin redbreast. But she was telling me that uh, she got really bad news recently when her brother was found dead. He took a massive heart attack. He was only 59. And she was just saying how lovely and loyal a brother he was and it's not the first tragedy they've had in their family because Patricia's mum lost her life in a road traffic accident back in the late 70s. John was her brother's name and he was cremated recently and they really, really miss him and he loved going to Medjugorje and uh, the card she sent me is a Medjugorje card and there have been no pilgrimages as we know the last few years. He was there every year for 10 years uh, until he couldn't go last year. He missed out and... uh, she was just saying she loves a late lunch and she misses her brother terribly. And uh, he had a very special song that they played for him and we're going to play it for him today. His name was John and we remember John today on the show with this one. When the night has come And the land is dark Infertility is a major problem for many, many people. The desire to have children. And it appears to me anyway that it's an issue that's just increasing all of the time. But perhaps I'm wrong. But we're going to talk about it for the next while to an expert. He works with the Beacon Care Fertility. And I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon, Dr. Bart Kuchera. Hello, Bart. Hello, thanks for having me. Not at all. Welcome to the show. Would you take that point up for a start? Is it just my impression that fertility is becoming a bigger issue for many people in the year 2021? Uh, it is right. Uh, the thing is that since people started to postpone parent, you know, parenthood as a way of establishing a family till 30s, this came as a prominent problem because if you imagine one in 10 formerly fertile couples, so they had a child in the 20s, cannot have another child in the earliest 30s, like until the age of 34, it's going to be one in 10 couples, and then it's only getting worse. So time is of the essence. So what would you say to listeners today if you're planning a family or to have a child or two? Are you far better, you know, thinking about this and having children in your 20s? The earlier, the better? Absolutely. So, you know, we won't be younger than today. So the sooner we try, the more is, the, you know, more likely we are to succeed without medical help. And the same applies to infertility treatments. The sooner you begin, the higher are the odds for a successful outcome or less treatments, for instance, will be will be required. I know it's easy for me to say that because circumstances dictate people, you know, are working hard. They're trying to perhaps buy a home or a place to live as well. And the family is put on the back burner. Given that that may be the case, how long would you say to somebody today who are trying for a baby, say in their 30s and nothing is happening before they should talk to yourselves? Um, typically, we advise couples, unless they already know that there is some health issue and they may just require to verify it, 
but typically we would leave them at home for a year of trying uh, as soon as, I mean, as long as the woman is below 35 years of age. Above that, they should come sooner. Um, the reason is that, you know, it is expected that eight out of 10 couples will have a baby after a year of trying if they are in their early 30s or, or, or in 20s, and perhaps one more after another year. So after two years of trying, you would have nine out of 10 couples pregnant or already having a child, and the remaining 10%, 15% will require some help. Um, you know, in addition, women who are older, they may have some inheritable, you know, ovarian aging patterns that make them simply quicker, less fertile, and they have to catch up with their own ovaries. So half a year, if you're over 35, at least do essential tests and you know where you're standing. It's a fantastic success rate, may I say. And the other thing about this is often, you know, or maybe in the past, it was looked upon as a woman's issue. The difficulties are there, but not so. It involves both the man and the woman. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, you see, I always say that because you see a pregnancy in a woman and you don't see her in a man, that's why it was perceived as a female problem. Now, as we see it here in the clinic, you know, male contribution to success or lack of success is uh, equally important. So roughly speaking, you know, in a third of couples, you can find a male problem as a leading factor. Another third will be uh, on the female side. And then you will have a gross, you know, the remaining third of couples where both contribute. And some of them will be what we call unexplained. So it's hard to point which side is more, you know, uh, responsible for the problem. But it's always a couple, so that's what makes fertility treatment unique. It's a couple who's a patient. Now, a big issue that people uh, have spoken to me about on my radio show in the past is miscarriage. What about somebody who's having recurrent miscarriages? Is this an area that uh, you can turn your expertise to and help? To a degree, yes. Now, the thing is that recurrent miscarriages, they are of a different nature than random ones that happen, you know, pretty much in every second, every third couple, uh, a woman who had three losses in a row without the baby born in between would be regarded as a recurrent miscarrier. There is a specific treatment, you know, not a treatment, but diagnostic plan first involved, quite extensive. Uh, and then treatment-wise, actually, there is some advice from IVF clinics as well. We can at least eliminate the embryos that should not be used for conception with a modern approach, but classic IVF would be, would be of, of little or, or no help, really. Come back to the IVF, and I know you guys there, you've contributed immensely to the knowledge in this area, and of course your colleagues around the world as well are all chipping in. What can improve uh, IVF? Success. One thing I wanted to ask you about in particular is this uh, embryogenetic testing. Would you talk to me a bit about that, please? Yes. Now, you know, a big proportion of human embryos are abnormal. And this is why we don't get pregnant every month. We try for a baby. So every cycle, if you compare it to other, let's say, animals, they are pregnant every cycle pretty much. Uh, in humans, this, you know, uh, design of, of the fertility process is that it's a minority of embryos that are capable of becoming a baby, and this number drops with age even further. So that's where the problems come from. With the genetic testing uh, for chromosomal abnormalities, which are most common or relatively easy, although very high-tech to diagnose, you can eliminate those embryos from transfers and only focus on embryos that have a 
at least, you know, the foundation of normality, which is normal count of chromosomes, they can have other issues. And we know that, but at least the gross majority of abnormalities can be, can be you know, uh, avoided. When is it too old to consider pregnancy? You know, if you were to say to somebody, look, is uh, late 40s too old? Certainly over the 50 mark, although we hear some celebrities having uh, babies into their 50s. What do you say to that? (laughs) Okay, so, uh, well, we cannot say sky's the limit, right? But generally speaking, you know, if we refer it to natural fertility of, of, of people before contraception was invented, most of people had children up until the age of 42 every year and a half every two years. And then, like a magic wand, at the age of 43 and above, only a minority had another child. So you can say that 42 is where nature put some limit, you know, on fertility uh, uh, abilities for, for an average woman. Some will still be able to conceive. And that's where we come with help because, you know, you can have success rates with limited expectations until the age of 46, 47, but really limited expectations. And as long as, you know, the patient finds herself fit to to do it, knowing what she's deciding to do, there is no reason why she should, uh, you know, avoid this treatment because until the age of 46, 47, we had live births in Ireland and worldwide. The desire to have a baby, as I mentioned at the start, is immense with people, especially, you know, as the years go by. This want and the pressures that come with that, you know, within a person. Now, you work, of course, your magic with science. But how much does pressure like that play in people finding difficulty to conceive? It does. And to what degree? Well, it was actually investigated in couples who already did treatment, failed, and they were, you know, facing next treatment. So uh, people who had some stress management program who availed for counseling for that purpose there are special therapeutic programs just to you know relieve the stress and cope with the reality for upcoming treatment they improve their implantation rate so ability to hug an embryo you know over 50 percent so this is the degree of of you know impairment that can come with the distress when when people no longer cope with it they just you know with a vicious circle of stress and propelling to further stress I know there you uh, employ the latest international techniques in all aspects of uh, your fertility work. You're on the cutting edge there and you're learning all the time, I take it. Oh, yes, we do. And this is actually part of our, you know, everyday practice. Uh, So care group as a whole, we work on the same laboratory practice and we gather our data. So they are like with like and we can make some big data conclusions. Uh, Interestingly, that's how we developed our unique care maps, which is uh, basically an embryo developmental pattern that can be traced based on the embryo observation from the cell divisions, timings, which embryos are performing better, which are worse, and which are more likely or less likely to become the embryo. It must be magical when you help a couple. Well, the feeling is magical, but there's no magic in it. It's basically, you know, stamina to go from 
one cycle to another and yet again it requires. And just to remind our listeners again, everybody knows where the Beacon Hospital is in Sandyford and you're lo- located there right beside them. And I just want to tell our listeners, if people want to find out more information, it's beaconcarefacility.ie and the phone number is 012932955. You do wonderful work, Dr. Cuchera, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Yes, Dr. Bart Kuchera there speaking to me from the Beacon Care Facility. That's beaconcarefacility.ie if you have an issue with fertility or are planning a family. They're there to talk to you. Thank you indeed, Dr. Bart, for speaking to us on the show this afternoon. Question from Jerry in Dundalk. Um, the AstraZeneca, Jerry, how long do you have to wait for the second jab? It's 12 weeks at the minute. That's under review, but it is 12 weeks you have to wait, Jerry, at this point in time. What's this? Uh, Lockderg. Lockderg. No Lockderg again this year. Rosa Tralee yesterday. No pilgrimages to Lockderg this year either. It's closed again for a second year in a row. A lot of devotees to Lockderg will be disappointed with that. So another year you won't be going out on the boat to the island. No more snow days for school. What's this about? Yes, they got one or two days off for snow. Won't happen anymore when school's back next term. They'll be working remotely. I'm sure there's something in that for the teachers. I suspect. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Up next, we were talking about staycations yesterday. Breaks away. We're talking to a man who knows all about them. He's from Irish Mini Breaks. He's in Navin in County Meath. Dave Hewitt with us next. Yesterday on the show, we were talking about getting away this summer and especially staycations here in Ireland with Jason Collins, who was uh, telling us about a quote he got for a hotel in Kerry that was really expensive. But he has booked down there. Then Terry Kelly came on. She was so interesting. And she mentioned Irish mini breaks. Uh, Dave Hewitt is the man behind Irish mini breaks. He heard about it yesterday uh, on late lunch and he was in touch with us. He's with us today. Hello, Dave. Terry, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Tell us a bit about yourself first and uh, your background and this business. Uh, Irish Mini Breaks is, first of all, it's 100% Irish owned. Uh, myself and my business partner a number of years ago, we had a, 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 an online travel company. Uh, and this was kind of around where the, the recession was kicking in and times were tough and stuff like that. And we just we noticed the growth industry in travel in general was through hotels. That was the sector that was growing the most in opposed to flights and package holidays and stuff like that. Uh, so that's, that's where we kind of originated about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, we got into the, the Irish-only hotel business uh, literally about five years ago. We used to do worldwide, but we concentrated on Ireland because we we'd great contacts in Ireland within the, within the trade itself, you know. Mm. Uh, and we grew Irish mini breaks from there. I have to say we grew it organically. Uh, we didn't rush things. Uh, we gathered uh, a, a lovely, lovely uh, website uh, with some tremendous rates. Uh, what we do there is we do what's called fixed price rates. Uh, they don't change. They don't tend to change. Uh, we go to the hotels and say, you know, here's our air rates for our customers. Uh, do you guys want to come board? They load the rates. Customers book. Uh, simple as that. So that's what we've been doing successfully for the last number of years. And uh, we, we've grown a, a huge uh, following now. Uh, we do a lot of uh, advertising on social media uh, where we have uh, over 60,000 followers now. Loyal followers, I must say, who are delighted to get our bargains on a regular basis. Now, mini breaks last year, of course, or staycations, as they've got the name here in Ireland, were just the business because there was no travel. We out the door with bookings. 
Uh, last year, yeah, remember, like obviously there, there was periods that you know the the, the hotels were were not open. But uh, remember, I think it was the day, the fifth of June. Uh, Leo uh, said, "Look, you know, hot, hotels are going to open," and I think it was on the ninth of June. Uh, we hit record numbers of sales that day. It was just absolutely phenomenal, and they were quieting down a wee bit after that. And then, of course, the, the lockdown came again uh, and kept us, uh, you know, shut and not earning for for a long, long time. But uh, now, since the, the new announcement, it's been really, really, really busy. Uh, now, interesting enough, uh, I heard Terry, uh, another loyal customer of ours on the, on the radio yesterday, a uh, great woman. She does things right. Um, if I can you know, give a few hints to, yes. your, to your listeners yes. on how to get bargains. Terry is one of them that does them right. Uh, we have a lot of people who will phone us up uh, you know, after being searching for bargains and listen, I want to go to Kerry. Okay, I want to go to Killarney. Now, as your your, your listener yesterday got a, a massive quote for Killarney, uh, you know, the, that's, that, that's what can happen. They go to a hotel first. The hotel might be, I don't know, might be booked out or uh, heavily booked. Or what people have to realise as well, with hotels, particularly at weekends, there's a lot of weddings on mm-hmm. that were uh, cancelled from last year. So that, that makes the availability worse. Uh, but but anyhow, what Terry does is Terry, Terry would always you know look on our website first, uh, not necessarily look for a destination, but do an all county search and then look see what bargains are coming up. Doesn't work all the time for everybody, but again we we have hotels loading every day uh, onto our uh, loading bargains every day. So what Terry would do and the likes of Terry and myself indeed is search our website first, do an all county search, see what type of offers come up. And that's your starting point. If you, you know, if there's no Killarney there, you might say, "Whoa, there's one for Cork, Charleville Park in Cork. Mm. Uh, give that one a go. Auburn Lodge in Ennis. Uh, we'll give that one a go because uh, we we have we have tons of bargains uh, on the site. And if I can just just give you an idea, because I like I do I do follow a lot of social media posts, and I just see the negative posts as well from people saying it's rip off Ireland and whatever you have it now. Just to give you an idea, uh, what what kind of rates that we have on Irish mini bikes? Uh, for instance, th- this has to be the lowest rate uh, in in the country. Uh, we we have some rates now. A lot of them are booked out. I have to say at this stage for July and August. But we had rates in the Auburn Lodge in Ennis, three star hotel with a lovely leisure centre in it, bar, restaurant, a whole lot, sixty euro per night, including breakfast, uh, for a double, twin, or family room. And with all air brakes, up to two kids under 12 stay free uh, when they're sharing a the family room with two adults. They just pay for breakfast. But 60 euro, uh, Jerry, is, is, is probably the cheapest rate that I've seen yes. in the country, you know. Mm. Uh, tons of deals. Uh, another hint for, for people as well is uh, the likes of Dublin. Dublin has the, the, the highest amount of hotels uh, in, in, in the country. Uh, and if you look at Dublin on their website... Um, we all remember the old Borlo, the Clayton Borlington. Yes. Uh, we we have a rate for double or twin rooms in that hotel. This is for July and August. It's called the B and B Special. Seventy nine euro, including breakfast. You couldn't whack that in the capital city of a country with all that's on your doorstep. No, I You know the Mo- the Maldon Smithfield, lovely hotel in Smithfield, seventy four euro. Mm. So like. It it, it it does hurt me when people say yes. off Ireland is bargains here because you know they, they, I don't want it to affect our business. Uh, and again, we we have, as I said, really really good rates. And I can't I can't stipulate in, enough, you know, for for you to check, you know, the, the yeah. our website first. 
before you make a decision on any other hotel. Mm, mm. Because as I said, you know, some hotels, it's their, you know, prerogative to say, look, we've done nothing last year. We need, you know, good revenue this year. So our rate is X amount. Uh, and that's their prerogative, you know, but our prerogative is to, to get our customers uh, the, the best value breaks uh, yes. that we can. And that's what we have been doing successfully over the last I know this. I know this. And, and it's great to talk to you today. And it is really good to forcefully put that across because you know the way you talk about social media uh, 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 a quotation is mentioned or whatever it takes legs and then everybody's tarred with the one brush which is totally unfair and I I know what you're saying about Dublin because I just happened to uh, bump into a friend of mine last night and he's booked Friday and Saturday night of this week in a really good hotel for a fantastic rate for a stay over and a breakfast and uh, of course he'll be able to enjoy an old drink in the hotel because of of the change in regulations but it bears out what you're saying Saying there, and I know Terry was saying it yesterday. There's a lot of availability around Dublin. People are looking uh, to fill rooms. So look at uh, the length and breadth of the country. You're saying, and that's a very good point. Don't fixate yourself on a destination. Look wider. Uh, look wider. Uh, like we, we mentioned, Killarney there earlier on with, with massive prices, and indeed Killarney have massive prices. Yeah. As we speak now, we have uh, on the 20th of June for five nights. We've one double and one twin room left. In the Killarney Court, three-star hotel in Killarney, total price, two people, including breakfast, €360. Mm. Not €360 a night, €360 for five nights. Mm. So as I said, you know, the the starting point, you know, we'd we'd like people to look at our website, Irish Mini Breaks. It won't be, as I said, it won't be for for absolutely everybody because somebody might... I want a four-star hotel on the beach in, in, in uh, I don't know, Spanish Point. You know that way. Yeah. We may not have, have that hotel. Yeah. But we might have the Auburn Lodge in Ennis uh, for, we have it for a number of dates. Yes. Uh, particularly for doubles and twins. Which is nearby. Yeah, yeah, which is nearby. nearby and you're in the same vicinity as well. Do you think in a general sense that, you know, you talk about COVID and all, how it's impacted on our lives across the board. But may there be a silver lining for the domestic market uh, as regards tourism and breaks in all of this? Do pe- has it opened people's eyes? Uh, it, it has indeed. Like, basically, uh, we have a lot more people, uh, you know, we're an online company, obviously, with Irish Mini Breaks, Ballye, but, you know, we, we, we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, people calling us up. Uh, I do have to get in as well. Uh, we're, we're the only company in Ireland that also offer... Uh, and after I was uh, after I was WhatsApp uh, number service uh, and also Facebook Messenger, so people get onto us with our queries. But we we've had a lot of people, uh, you know, call us up, uh, and people are you know very agitated. Uh, you know, the 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 COVID has has done us all mentally, uh, but people are agitated. And, you know, they're coming up. You know, they're calling us with the the you know the the hotels are really there. What do you have? You know what I mean? And kind of you know. Yeah, you know, relax, relax. We 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 do our best for you, yeah, you know. It, it but is it, there. It, yeah. it it's is just there. people's psyche has, has changed a wee bit, you know. And, yes. and what I'm trying to do now, Jerry, is I'm trying to, you know, we we've had a lot of bad press, as in the hotel industry, and we would class ourselves in the hotel industry. We are not a hotel, but we sell Irish hotels. But unlike, you know, a lot that's happening out there, we would be one of the ones that would be, you know, the positive on it, and we would be selling at. You know, our reduced rates um, for, as I said, we deal with, I think, over 400 hotels in Ireland at this stage. Yeah, you know? well, look at we get the message. Irishminibreaks.ie. Dave, talk to you again. Lovely uh, that you joined me on the show today. 
Terry, thanks for having me. Not Take at care. all. Take Here care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. So there is value to be had. You heard it there from the horse's mouth. Irish Mini Breaks.ie. Check it out before you do anything. Happy 60th birthday today to June Leslie from the 20s in Drogheda. Enjoy your special birthday. Lots of love from your sisters Mona and Sheila and Rachel O'Brien and Cullen. Hello. I know you're a big late lunch fan listening every day. I hope you're having a lovely day, Rachel, out there in Cullen. For all of you, yes, it's a heavenly day and picture house. Nice to hear from you this afternoon, Rodney. Rodney Monk on his way to the Helix in Dublin, but he tells me not for a gig. Of course it's not. It's for the Johnson and Johnson, not the Janssen. It's known as one word vaccine. It's the one shot vaccine. Wish you well, Rodney. Half of uh, the Northeast has gone to the Helix. I've been just hearing in the last couple of days for their vaccines and the one dose is terrific. One jab and you're away. Uh, and we wish everybody well uh, getting their jabs in the Helix this afternoon and beyond. Now, he is known for his work on historical books and he's published a series of them over the years and I've interviewed him here on the show about each of them. In, ter- in turn, Ricky Jarrett is back with another brilliant one. It's called Amateur Drama, Drogheden District, and the man himself joins me on the line. Hello, Ricky. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. I congratulate you again. It is a joy to read and look at all the images in this book. Can I just ask you to tell our listeners where the idea came from? Well, the idea came from uh, this present project happened quite by accident. Uh, Some years ago, a fellow called David Holly, originally from Congress Avenue, arrived at my house and presented a bundle of photocopied sheets to me. And he said, you may be interested in doing something with these in the future when you are wondering what project you would like to tackle next. But anyway, that day came anyway, and uh, I read them all and found them interesting. But on their own, uh, they would not make a decent publication. So I decided that this idea was to be my next project. Uh, and I would broaden out and the scope of the work and call it amateur drama from Drogheda and District. My God, I'll tell you one thing. I am amazed at the amount of drama that there is in the Drogheda and way out from Drogheda, the greater Drogheda area and all the different drama groups. But is it fair to say that one of the oldest was the St Mary's, the one of the originals? Absolutely. Well, that, that's the one that I got all this information from David uh, about, St. Mary's. And uh, it's so very interesting that the very first one, that, I, that, I, that the oldest one I could get was happened, that they put on a play in 1916. And it happened that it was on Easter Sunday of 1916 that they put this play on. Mm. And not only that... Such an historic time, Easter Sunday and Easter Monday of 1916. The name of the play at the time was Ireland as it is. And it was a fantastic seemingly. And of course, it was in the Whitford Hall. Mm, in Drogheda famous famous venue certainly it is but as I said to you they're they're spread far and wide and I'm going to touch on on some of them Um, when when you mentioned that year 1916 did I spot in the book the year 1900 around the term infecting people correct Yes, there was there was a, a program I, I got my hands on uh, in the Termin Fecken area that that uh, said you know that it, it uh, uh, there was such a play on in such a such a such a place, but I didn't have any photographs or any account of anything way back then mm. of that. That's why uh, the St Mary's one I, I, I was sure that really did take place. 
so, but uh, if if I had more time, only for COVID, I would have sniffed out a little bit more about some of the places uh, that that had older ones. But uh, COVID interfered with everything yeah. and interfered with this project as well. Ah, oh, well, listen, I say to you, Ricky, don't worry about that. You've done a wonderful job in the circumstances. But when I look through the book, and, and I'm just going to drop a few uh, names here that people will be familiar with. There were productions, drama productions in Dunlear, Berrystown, Clotterhead, Julianstown, Termin Fekin, in Dulik, Monaster Boy, Stack Allen, Tully Allen, uh, where do I go next? Denor, uh, in Drogheda Town itself, and uh, so many more. It's amazing the amount of groups. There's a great tradition, isn't there? Well, there is a great tradition, and really what happened in lots of these places was that, especially the, the, the smaller villages, one or two or three people would be enthusiastic and, and, and they would spearhead something. They would spearhead and, and, and get play going. And they'd get another one going the next, next year as well. But that might last for two or three years, and then they either moved on or got fed up. And so it... it they could have, the, the whole idea could have stopped in that area yeah. until somebody else, maybe two, three, four, five, six years later, uh, somebody else got uh, enthusiastic and started up again. Picked up the baton. I want to mention a couple just to pick out a few, and I'm not being, uh, I don't want to do a disservice to anybody, but in the time that we have, the Blessed Oliver Drama Group, Frank Dunn, my old fishing buddy who passed away recently, and the late, great George Hoy were mentioned there, two yeah. great stage men. Yes, absolutely. George was 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 uh, such a professional person. You know, when he would take on a part, he would never mix up his words or, or his lines, and he could take on a very serious part. Or his his main thing was a, a comedy character. Mm. And I always remember him as a as, as a referee of juvenile football. And he was the only person uh, that we came across in our underage football that would come along, blow the whistle, but come along and explain to you that this is why you, 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 the whistle was blown. You have done this, you know. Yeah. Whereas lots of other people would blow the whistle and just point and say, free whereas George wouldn't. Ah, he was a lovely man. I remember yeah. him in Dominican altar boys when I was there. He ran the uh, the altar boy the section altar boy there in, in the church. Another one to pick out is Signpost Drama Group. Now, we're coming up in the years to 79 when they were formed and the great Connie McCabe and Pat Collins. That's right. Yeah, they were, they, they were uh, really spearheading, as, as I call it, uh, the signpost at the time. And spearheading something or getting ready to try to organise a cast and, and a director and a producer is no mean job, really, you know, because mm. it, it, it just is, is, is a fantastic commitment on anybody who takes on that. But lots of people, even in, 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 in their selection of plays, it, it, it didn't just fall on one person to continually produce. They took turns, mm. and production took uh, it took an awful lot of pre- preparing and uh, rehearsing and all that kind of thing. You know, whereas an ordinary actor didn't have much to do but make sure he just learned his lines. Yes, and uh, the range of plays that they staged as well uh, during the years were right across the board. The great and good of uh, plays written by Irish uh, writers and by uh, you know from abroad as well. Another couple of groups I want to mention here is uh, St. Philomena's Drama Group here in the town of Drogheda in the 1940s and St. Bridget's Drama Group who are going strong today and I have to give a shout out to the lady on the front cover, I know her well, the wonderful Barbara Carr it's a wonderful image Ricky Isn't it? Isn't it? 
isn't it great? Yeah. Uh, as soon as I saw, that, uh, noticed that uh, photograph, I said, you know, that's special. And, and uh, so we, we ended up uh, more or less deciding that we'll, we'll base our photo, our, our cover on her because it's so dramatic and she looks so very well. Well, you see, <coughs> excuse me, both Philomena's and, and, um, and St. Bridget's uh, were the backbone of the, the Drogheda crowd after St. Mary's more or less folded up or discontinued. Uh, St. Philomena's uh, kept going with their usual plays and, and they stopped in 19, 1992, you know, which is a good while ago. They haven't, uh, they keep saying, people keep saying we've gone into a temporary retirement. And they're hoping then that somebody will come along and, 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 and get things moving again. Yes, they're, they're never dead and buried. Not at all. But St. Bridges was very popular with, with new people from outside town starting to work here. They, they started in 1948 and, and still producing generally one play per year. Uh, and, of course, the, the, the coincidental thing is that COVID interfered uh, to their... Uh, made an abrupt ending to their latest production called The Hag, which was tremendous altogether. I didn't even get to see it, but uh, I, had, I had a ticket to go to it uh, on the day that COVID uh, announced that uh, everything is stopped. Ah, oh, damn. Anyway, you will get to see it. They will pull it on, I'm sure, in the future. The other one, Ricky, to mention, uh, just while you remember, there are many others, but to point out in particular, people may not know, the auditorium players associated with the hospital Oh yes, that was that was very special, actually. You know, the auditorium players were were, were uh, in, involved with with uh, nurses and, and doctors initially, and uh, a few of the nuns, and and they had the the use of the the auditorium hall, mm. and uh, they 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 kept going for so many years. But they did mainly charity things for for the missions for the nuns. But then uh, I suppose uh, it, it, it with other people coming into it, uh, they they. they sort of changed their focus mm. but they still uh, what happened after that then was uh, signpost was the out, outcrop yes. of, 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 of the auditorium players mm. and so they continued having their plays and, and, and their rehearsals uh, down there mm. and the nuns were very supportive uh, of them, you know. Yes. And uh, but the, the best part about it down there was that uh, that after all the rehearsals, they, they had lovely tea and coffee and 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 homemade scones from the nuns. <laughs> you can't so, beat it. They love that. Yeah. Yeah. And Donald Black and Jim Cairns, we must give them a shout out. The Star and Crescent Drama Society, which was part of it. Jim Cairns asked Donald. You know, Jim Cairns was 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 the, the manager of the Star and Crescent at the time, and he he, he saw an opening for. Uh, you know, they, they had plenty of of uh, of things and uh, and, and events <coughs> in the Star and Crescent, uh, but they were all sort of physical, and and they were all you know, uh, lots of them were. So then he got the idea that it'd be nice to have something nice and sedate and have it have a. a a, what you call it, a drama group. Mm. So Donald was already in a drama group, but he was a member of the, of the club uh, as well. So he he uh, was approached and he said, "Yeah, yeah, we can give it a go." And so, but the main thing they did was then was that it, he established uh, a festival of four uh, of uh, one act plays. So it wasn't just that they had one big play every year, yes. uh, but they had shorter, smaller plays, and it. it 
it went on for a week mm. and uh, lots of, of drama societies from even up, in, up as far as Dublin and down as far as Cavan and Monaghan would enter and it was professionally they were professionally judged you know and it went on for uh, about 15 years mm. and we have to mention Julique as well in County Mead and Michael Ferguson and the crew out there they're brilliant people they're always consistent every year uh, with productions yeah, and Michael, Michael even writes his own plays sometimes as well. And he did a lovely job out of with with uh, uh, the, 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 the story of Bernadette. Yes. Uh, so, but he also works. He also works with with Ash Story in mm. and, and acts with them as well as in in what you call it, as with uh, in, in, as with his own crowd in Dulic as well. You know. Mm. So, so uh, there's crossover. Yeah, I met a cross. I met a fella called Paddy Devine. Uh, he's uh, associated with Tully Allen, and it was late in, in the in the project that I was told that you should talk to Paddy O'Brien or Paddy Devine. So by the time I had him uh, sniffed out, as the fellow says, uh, I I I, uh, I found him, and he says uh, himself that he the first the first uh, play he attended, he even remembered the date. It was the twenty seventh of March, nineteen forty nine. And it was in Mullick Hall. And I said, Jesus, where is that? And he said, it was down the old Mellifon Road, it was. <laughs> and he was 12 years of age at that time. Yeah. And he's now 85. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't and, that and fantastic? He, and he said, and I still love the stage. Ah, yeah. wonderful. And, wonderful. and he, uh, he says that if, if a suitable part came, uh, I'd nearly go for it. <laughs> yes, an actor yeah. can act for eternity. As long as yeah. you're alive, there's a he place said, on the stage. He said the comedy parts always suited his character best, so mm. he sounded like... No, I didn't meet him. I, 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 I rang him up. Yes. And, uh, but he, he says comedy parts always suited his character. And he loved it, you know. So ah, that was uh, Paddy, Paddy Devine from Tully Allen. Ah, wonderful. Well, look at Ricky. Uh, we could go on and on. I say to people listening today, this is brilliant. I mentioned all those groups in the uh, wider Drawhead area who are all featured. There's fantastic photographs, stories. Tops of the Town is in there as well, and more besides. It's called Amateur Drama from Drawhead and District by Richard Jarrett, or Ricky as he's better known as. Have you some copies available? Where can they get it? Oh, they, they're, they're available now, all right. I was selling them first myself. You can get them from the author himself. Uh, and I don't know whether you have the number there or not to read that out, have I you? I have, I have. Will I give yeah. your home or mobile number, which? Oh, no, mobile number. The mobile number for Ricky, for the book. Are you ready? Have your pens ready there? I'll give you a minute. Now, uh, come on, amateur dramatic people, you should have a pen standing by. 87 976 That's 87 976 We'll have that number at reception. It's available from yourself. Ricky, thanks for joining me on the show today. Wish you well. Oh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. My Artist of the Week is the one and only Lionel Richie. Did you know Lionel? He was born in Alabama. He was the son of a U.S. Army man and his mum was a teacher. Here's one for you, and I did not know this. He was a brilliant tennis player and he won a scholarship to university where he also studied economics and he took out his degree in economics, but he was a real prodigy, a real talent. And also, he considered becoming a priest in the Episcopal Church, of which he's a member. 
But instead, he decided to follow his dream in the music business. Thank God he did. God has a way, hasn't he? He really has. As I mentioned yesterday, he formed and played in a number of R&B bands as a teenager before joining the Commodores and eventually going solo in 1982. And it's believed the nudge he needed to go solo came in 1981 with his duet with Diana Ross singing the theme song from the movie Endless Love. You know, that song became one of the biggest selling records of all time on the Motown label. Today, I'm going back to 1983 and Lionel's Grammy Award winning album Can't Slow Down for my song. It was the fifth hit single from the album and another universally appealing ballad. Radio Romance and LMFM's late lunch in the afternoon all this week. Oh, I remember it well from Radio Romance. Were you ever in the back of a car curtain and uh, Lionel on singing that one? <laughs> I'm sure there's many listening today. Remember those days with Mr. Lionel Richie, Radio Romance? Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, Lionel Richie, isn't he just something else? He really is. And I'll bring you more about Lionel and his uh, wonderful uh, love ballads. Oh, he's more than that. Besides, I'll be playing them for you before the end of the week. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, final break of the afternoon. Stay with us. Kira Garvin was to be with us on late lunch uh, at this time on the show, but uh, she won't be today, unfortunately. So we're going to hold over the piece if you're waiting for it on hybrid working, but we will be coming back to it, I promise you. Now, let's have a listen to our Sinead Burke. Yes, it's time for more of Burke's banter. And with the lockdown being lifted, Burke's banter is really appropriate today. Here's Sinead. Years ago, I used to work with prisoners. It will shock absolutely no one to hear that I ended up learning far more off them than they ever took from their weekly sessions with me. Two things in particular have stayed with me. Not everyone looks forward to being released and a possible move to an open prison towards the end of a sentence can fill a lot of the lads with complete dread. Strict rules come with security and routine. There is a certain type of peace with that. Freedom brings challenges. Where will I live? How will I get a job? How can I stop going back to doing what put me inside in the first place? Being in an open prison can be even dicier. Yes, I can spend more time outside and it's great that I can have more visitors. But how do I manage the temptation of simply walking out the gate and ruining all the work I've put in to get to this point? As the most impressive First Lady ever, and with apologies to all Michelle Obama fans, Eleanor Roosevelt once said, With freedom comes responsibility. I haven't thought about my time on the landings in ages, but week by week, as we get more and more privileges, and time off for good behaviour is being dangled in front of us, it struck me that Ireland really needs a probation officer. Someone to guide us patiently and carefully through the next couple of months. Perhaps the likes of Tommy Tiernan or Mary Kennedy or even Sinead Brazel of this parish. Good sound heads on all of them with the right mix of wisdom and humour who could settle our nerves and stop us bursting out the gate and hiring a party tent. Scuppering the whole thing. Not to tell or to either business 
But that gap left by the late, late summer holiday would be the perfect spot for a weekly check-in with the nation. Viewers could send in their questions. Should we chance going to that barbecue? Bridie says they'll only be them, ourselves and our sisters lot, but you can never tell with that crowd. The child's birthday's coming up. What should I do? The ones over in London are mad to come home. Should I be encouraging them? All dilemmas we'll need advice on. This new public service programme has merit and God couldn't it be easily done when you think of it. As we move from stay home to stay safe, to keep it steady lads and don't blow it, I think we would all be better off for someone to hold our hand and mind us as we sit in the waiting room ready to be released. This transition to total freedom is not going to be easy for most people. It's not only worrying about how effective the vaccines might actually be, but it's also having to put up with the unwelcome return of the normal stuff. You can say what you like about level 5 restrictions, but between no school or organised sports, there was a hell of a lot less washing. Not going out and working from home saved us money too. While no one was able to live their best life on the pub payment, those of us who were lucky enough to keep a wage coming in the door were able to save a few bob. Having spent most of the year running the car on fumes, it makes me want to weep thinking of the money I am back spending on petrol. God love anyone who's in line for a rent increase. That will be a sharp and cold welcome back to the real world for a lot of families. There's also what to wear when we're out and about. I mean, does fashion even exist anymore? Hand on heart and be honest with me now. Apart from relatively clean runners, what is actually on trend? I haven't a notion. And after sitting on the couch for a year, unless it involves an elasticated waist, I'm not interested. There's talk of something called a statement cardigan. I think I got a few of them when the mother went through a knitting phase in the mid-80s. Sure, I suppose they'll keep us cosy while we're sitting in the neighbour's garden. All in all, this purgatory phase of the pandemic is bringing both new obstacles and returning old responsibilities. The greatest determinant of whether a prisoner will return to jail is the support network they have on the outside. Let's all keep each other on the straight and narrow. The party tents will come back and the ones beyond in London will come home in time. But till then, let's not blow it. None of us want to go back inside. Yes, Sinead Burke there speaking to us uh, again with her wise words on late lunch today. Brilliant uh, observation of life, I have to say. Yes, life on the outside by Sinead Burke. Thank you, Sinead, as always. Love your banter. And there'll be more from Sinead anon, I can assure you. Sean Curry listening in Swords today. Hello, Jerry. Loving the music. Keep her lit. Hi, did you know? Did you know this, Jerry? Did you know? Lionel Richie can't finish the alphabet. He can't finish the alphabet. Why, Sean? He always gets stuck on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's for jokes Wednesday and it's only Tuesday. There you go. Lovely to hear from you, Sean, on the show this afternoon. Keep listening. Anyway, tomorrow on Late Lunch, we're joined from London by me, the comedian, Grania Maguire. We're going to have an old chuckle with Grania tomorrow on the show. Cathy Marr is with us. Pharmacist Cathy Marr. She's going to be talking about stocking up your first aid kits for summer. You know, the bumps and bruises and grazes they all get. We'll also be talking about blocking out the sun and, of course, 
vaccinations to roll out in pharmacies. And Miriam Manning is with us to talk all about St. Column Kill. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. Lots of wonderful music over the next couple of hours. Stay with us on LMFM Radio. We're back with Midweek Late Lunch tomorrow at 1.30. We leave you with this brilliant song. It's Shallow, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. See you tomorrow. Tell me something, girl. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast with same-day business finance, so let our van specialist Danny find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.